Just a note, there are some heavy topics that come up in this episode, including suicide. We are what you call a party band, so we do everything from standards to country to 50s and 60s rock and roll, R&B, reggae, everything. I love R&B. As a singer in a party band, Sterling Howell knows a lot about partying. Being the life of the party is basically his job. He sings for the cruise line Princess Cruises. So, Sterling knows when a party is going well. It's like if you go to the club, there's a band performing, you could drink how much you want, and you could just party, you know? And he knows when the party's falling apart. You go to the club and then you are confined to one square meter. Then they tell you, okay, you could only have one drink and you have to stay here, social distancing, no groups. He describes his last cruise as that second kind of party. It's, it's a lot of change that, that a lot of people were not accustomed to. And I think a lot of people couldn't deal with it. Cruising, you, you got to travel the world, do what you love, getting paid to do it. But um, I, I don't think the world itself was prepared for something like COVID-19. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. When coronavirus hit the cruise industry, the party stopped. After a few days, even weeks in some cases, the passengers were allowed to disembark. But a lot of the crews were still there. And some of them are still on board. In the middle of May, there were 100,000 crew members at sea, trying to get home. Sterling Howell was one of them. When the passengers got off, the way things were going, we thought everyone was just taking uh, the right precautions to make sure that no one gets sick. And then things will get back running after a couple of weeks. That's what we thought. But I guess everyone thought wrong. So they got all the passengers off the cruise ships and the, the ship basically just went just off the coast of, of Bahamas, trying to distance ourselves from land to protect us from uh, getting the virus. At first, there were worries about the virus being on board. But on his ship, no one, not the passengers or the crew, contracted it. Still, he was under quarantine and isolated in his room for four weeks in all. You were just in that room. You had your balcony. You could have looked outside, but you were just in that room. After the quarantine process, they raised it a little bit so we could have gotten out. But all the facilities wasn't open. The medical staff, they were doing a great job because we were basically doing temperature checks every single day. Every single day at, at morning and evening. Sterling says it wasn't until late March that he heard talk about repatriating crews. Repatriating is just a fancy way of saying getting people like Sterling back home, to his family, to where he wanted to be. So all the Europeans, they put them on one ship. The Filipinos, the people from South Africa, the people from India, they put them on one ship. The Americans and the Canadians, they put them on one ship. Sterling is from the island nation of Trinidad and Tobago. So he got on the ship for the Caribbean, the Caribbean princess. They sent all the Caribbean 
and South Americans on one ship. So that's when the repatriation started. In theory, he was one step closer to home. But it wasn't that easy. And the reason it wasn't easy was because of an order by the Centers for Disease Control in the United States. As soon as CDC put in the no-sale order is the first time that people overlooked this situation. Krista Thomas has not been overlooking this situation. She's a former guest services director for Norwegian Cruises. After many years at sea, she settled down near the mountains in Vancouver, Canada, to work in the hotel industry there. But when she heard about COVID-19 on the cruise ships, she just kept thinking about her old friends. There's a connection that I think only crew members understand. When you make a friend on board a ship, they're your friend for life, and no matter how far away they are. And so in speaking with them on a regular basis, of course, I was asking how they were doing. And her plan to reach out to a few friends grew into a virtual North Star for these crew members. I started a crew page on Facebook just as a place for them to connect until they got home. But it quickly grew into more more of a help desk, really. And that's when crew started reaching out to me a lot, is after the launch of the page. Using the strength of her home internet connection, she's been trying to get crew members to their homes one by one. And the CDC's no-sale order has been one of the biggest obstacles. The CDC issuing a no-sale order in mid-March. That Remember goes- that CDC's no-sale order is until July 24th. And- the CDC issued a no-sale order mandating that crew members can only leave the ship if they are transported by charter aircraft or private vehicles, no rental cars or taxis, and no commercial flights. Can you tell me what a no-sale order is? CDC put in a ruling that ships could not operate in U.S. waters or anywhere that the United States has jurisdiction. But they also put incredibly strict restrictions on the cruise lines, where in order for crew to disembark and to go home, if they were coming from a cruise ship, they would not be allowed to use any commercial transportation. No commercial flights for fear of infecting people. No public transportation. And then they couldn't stay overnight in hotels. The layover could not exceed eight hours anywhere. And the onus falls to the cruise ship companies to make sure this is done. The cruise lines had to sign a document, you know, agreeing that they had complied with all of this by the CEO and the chief medical officer. And it had criminal sanctions attached to it that should the crew member end up taking any type of public transportation or being ill along the way, that they would be responsible for all of the medical costs and could be held liable with prison time and a fine. And this is when we saw the cruise lines become reluctant to make these plans for their crew members to go home. So the cruise lines were hesitating, and the crews on board were starting to worry. It was the first time that the crew, I think, began to have a sense of fear about when they would get home. We just basically tried to get home. The CDC was probably just being too demanding. The cruise ship companies were struggling with these new rules to get people like Sterling home. But it wasn't just the cruise lines. The problem we had was that when everyone was going home, our country wasn't taking us. Trinidad wouldn't accept Sterling or the hundreds of other Trinidadian crew members aboard these ships. He was stuck. They were all stuck, confined to their rooms with a lot of time 
and nothing to do. There's no one for me to perform for. So people like us had our contracts ended. It was a lot of mental things going through your mind. I'm not getting paid. Well, I'm going to take care of my family. When is the country going to bring me home? The other countries are bringing home their people. Why is my uh, country not bringing home my people? In, this, in the middle of this crisis, I think I should be home with my family. Sterling has two kids. His mom is at home. So is his fiance. And when he tells the story, he admits he was lucky in a lot of ways. His church leader was calling him with motivational words. Other friends sent regular messages. I had a couple of people in the family who were concerned and really aware of what was going on. So they were reaching out to make sure that everything was all right. But this feeling his country had abandoned him, it was persistent. You shouldn't leave anyone behind. And that's the, the feeling that we were having, that we were getting left behind. At the same time, in Vancouver, Krista was getting a lot of messages from people like Sterling, who were also feeling left behind. The desperation is really hard to hear when you have people saying, please help us. I've read a few of them because you've shared them with our team. And they are harrowing and heartbreaking can you read out a few that you think the world should know about? The captain makes announcements every day that we cannot leave the cabin, otherwise it will be considered a violation. They keep us like prisoners without salary. We're paying for water and drinks, and the prices on board have increased. I try to use the internet when everyone is sleeping so I can get a hold of my family. I've started to smoke three times a day and drinking as much as possible. I know it's not good for my health, but there's nothing else to do. I asked my doctor to give me pills. Being very honest right now, I would like to just take some pills and a bottle of wine, sleep for a few weeks, and wake up when this is all over, but I'm afraid I won't wake up. I wake up sweating, shaking, and want medicine to end all of this. Three people have died this week. One crew member did commit suicide. I just wanted to make you aware that life is hell here in isolation. We are all desperate. This has been a never-ending nightmare. It's hard to say anything after that. But we should say that at this point, there have been class action lawsuits filed against a number of cruise lines. Celebrity Cruises, Royal Caribbean, Princess Cruises. Carnival Cruise Line has upwards of 20 lawsuits pending, and the U.S. Congress is investigating. But Cruise Lines International Association, they represent the cruise industry, They've said the cruise lines, quote, continue to work through diplomatic channels to ensure the safe return home of our crew members, end quote. That's from a statement they gave to the press. They also say they've repatriated thousands so far. You know, in the beginning, I think, and, and maybe in time, we're still going to hear things come out about what the cruise lines could have done better or sooner. I'm sure that cost factors into some of their decisions, but I see them paying for charter flights and making these bookings and flight tickets and itineraries being sent to me by photographs and then crew members getting to the airport and finding out that their country has canceled the charter and said it can't come in. These are human lives that we're talking about and countries need to repatriate their own citizens. Trinidad's national security minister has said they are trying to keep the disease from spreading and avoid overwhelming the healthcare system there. Their reentry will be worked out in a schedule that our public health system can accommodate 
As for Sterling, through willpower, charm, and the magic of the media, he did manage to make it home in the end. I did a couple of live videos. I called a couple of radio stations, TV stations. We, we just started protesting. And the people of the country decided that enough is enough. You know, you need to bring home the people. The voice of the people is the voice of God. So the voice of the people, they, they started crying out. They can't leave our people out there. And then I think the government decided to change their heart and, and decided to bring us home. Well, almost home. Sterling is in Trinidad, but he's still in quarantine. As of Monday, June 1st, he has a little less than a week left, and he can't wait to see his family again. But a lot of crew members haven't been so fortunate. Sterling ruefully remembers leaving them behind. When I left Caribbean, there was people from Nicaragua, people from Guyana. The Mexicans were still there. The, the people from Panama were still there. There were a couple of people from Venezuela. So I think it's a, a very depressing uh, feeling to have as a crew member, seeing other countries taking home their crew members. And your country is just not trying to help. Krista's across many of those cases. One of the ships in Germany, they need to get home to Russia, but Russia has also closed their borders. 21 to 24 ships in the Manila Bay in Philippines, they were approved to come there and to disembark crew members. And in one sense, I think that the industry is incredibly grateful that the Philippines took them in and allowed this. But they've been there well over a month now. Maybe because I'm from Canada, I've had more success here. We were able to bring home a group of Canadians quite quickly. It's much harder for me to actually get in touch with someone from another country. Krista's been trying to make contact with government officials literally around the world. I have crew members who have been reaching out to me from Mauritius, and we have tried to contact their embassy tried even reaching out to their own prime minister. Of course, <laughs> I'm not getting an answer. And they actually themselves have hired a lawyer at home who has gone to the Supreme Court to try and dispute the decision not to allow them to come home. Unfortunately, that was rejected. And that depression Sterling was talking about the crew members feeling, Krista says it's real. We have tried to enlist the help of psychologists that are willing to volunteer it's difficult because they can only practice in their own country. So if a crew member is Venezuelan, a Mexican psychologist isn't legally able to help. Depending on where the crew members come from, we might have a resource for them and we might not. There is a helpline on most of the cruise ships, but some of the crew members are still sharing cabins and they don't want to pick up the phone in front of a roommate and call a helpline. Sometimes. The help they get comes from Krista herself. She just ends up being the one that answers the phone. Myself and my other admins have also just done a suicide intervention course online so that if we get anything urgent, we can at least try and use those skills to hold them over until we can get help for them. There have been a handful of crew member deaths now. At least one employee jumped overboard. The first suicide didn't even make the papers. It was April 29th, I think. And then the first one that we really heard about that got more attention was 
the crew member from Poland, I think that was either late April or early May, um, that had gone overboard. And unfortunately, there's been five more that we know of since then. And two failed attempts, which I don't think have made headlines either. We feel suffocated here. Dr. Sammy is from Mauritius, a small island nation in the Indian Ocean, just east of Madagascar. And when we reached him, he was still floating, on board, close to 2,000 miles, 3,000 kilometers away from home. I'm currently on South African waters. Uh, been at sea since the 20th of March. I guess it's been around nine weeks. The situation in Mauritius is complicated. His country keeps saying they will bring the Mauritian crew members home, but they haven't brought them home yet. For us Mauritians, they have a chartered flight ready, but the Mauritian government is not authorizing landing, which is really sad for almost 2,000 Mauritian seafarers worldwide who are not able to return home. He does medical procedures when the passengers are on board. He still likes the work when things go well, but without passengers, he's not getting paid. And now he fears retaliation from the cruise line for talking to the press. Dr. Sammy is a pseudonym. At his request, we've agreed not to use his real name. Being far from our family during this period and not being able to support them financially is just heartbreaking and builds up a lot of stress. This kind of situation leads to severe depression, which uh, does bring suicidal tendencies. By now, many on board know there are likely crew members who have taken their own lives. My sympathy to all the families who lost their loved ones. I have friends going through depression on board. Not everyone is able to cope with their stress. Dr. Sammy is doing okay for now, but he knows others who are really suffering. I know a friend who lost a family member. Uh, The company organized his flights to fly home, but the Mauritian government refused the request. His friend goes by the name Albert. My name is Goshyawan Lakshmi Pawsat. Nickname is Albert. It's not always easy to get in touch with crew members. The ships are constantly in motion and the conditions are unpredictable. But Albert really wanted to get his story out and he managed to get in touch. Tuesday at about 3.30 South African time, I get a message from my daughter. My daughter recalled me and tell me that my brother get a heart attack and he passed away. So I go to the HR and tell them our situation. Then the head office tell me that they are doing everything to repatriate me to Mauritius, but the government is not allowed us to enter in our country. Albert is still thousands of kilometers from home left thinking about how he wasn't able to see his brother before he started this cruise in January. He keeps going over it in his head. I am very stressed and depressed. I wish I could have met him before he died. I could have saved him 
and now she died. Close to 2,000 Mauritians are still at sea. And the foreign minister recently got on television saying this. We all know, we understand our citizens are in pain and distress, and they want to come back home. But we need to do this in an organized way. We can't dock a ship just like that and have it disembark in Mauritius or have an aircraft land in Mauritius. Some of the Mauritians we spoke to are still isolated in one room. When you have nothing but hope, it's hard to give that up. Now, while I'm talking to you just now, now I'm passing through Mauritius now, like 100 kilometers from the coast. One more Mauritian crew member, Gan is his nickname, had his maritime mapping app out while he was on the phone. He was watching the ship he was on, slowly trace the Mauritian coast. And for a minute, he let himself daydream that things were different. He was hoping his country would reconsider and imagined himself sailing into the Mauritian port. He imagined himself going home. 24 hours later, Gan sent us this message on his phone. Today, 26th of May, 8 p.m., my position is already around 1,000 kilometers away from the northeast of Mauritius. He had gone from 100 kilometers to 1,000 kilometers from home. Gone was getting farther away. A long way from home now. Instead of docking at home, the ship headed to Colombo, Sri Lanka. The promise was they would be able to fly to Mauritius from there. But so many other promises had already been broken. Even so, he and the other Mauritians and the thousands of crew members still at sea are hoping their countries will call them home. And that's The Take. If you are struggling with mental health issues, there are suicide crisis lines available in many countries around the world. We'll have a link to some of them up on our website, podcast.aljazeera.com slash the take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with help from Dina Kispe, along with Priyanka Tilve, Nay Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Our engagement producer is Natalia Aldana. Our executive producer is Stacey Samuel. And our head of audio is Graylin Brashear. And a special thanks to our Miami-based producer, Kareem Haddad, and correspondent Andy Gallagher. On Wednesday, we revisit Sudan, one year after a deadly massacre that brought a new government to a country that had been ruled as a dictatorship for years. We'll be back.